Welcome to Boxes and Lines, a different kind of finance podcast from a different kind of stock exchange. Featuring IEX founder Ronan Ryan and Chief Market Policy Officer John Ramsey. Now here to give you the straight talk on how the markets really work. It's Ronan and JR. Welcome everybody to the latest episode of Boxes and Lines. John. Hello, governor. <laughs> this will make sense. Not that much that he says makes any sense mm-hmm. in a, no, in a, just in a minute. I'm trying to make our guests feel welcome. But, but I'm trying to like, adapt my accent to fit the guests. Today, we're very happy to have in our pod room with us. This is not even a virtual one, even though John's looking at the screen as if we're not here <laughs> in the same room in front of you. Turn around, face me. Look, I look, I. We have the founder and CEO of Stable Rich Council. Uh, commodity risk management platform and commodity is are not something we talk about too often. So we're hoping he can educate us and our listeners over the course of the next 30 minutes. I mean, I know a fair amount about it. Uh, Ronan may not know this, oh, but I go. actually was also a senior uh, executive one time at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Which, Were you really? Uh, yes, I was. Yes, see, you I thought know you were doing your, your usual bullshit. Like, you did know you know I was acting head of trading in no, markets? Well, yes, I have a very for, long story background. For 17 okay? minutes yeah. back in... 24. <laughs> anyway, uh, Eric, welcome aboard. Uh, you'll notice we have these tangential arguments at times. Just, it's yeah, best to sorry, just let just us to, go. Just ignore yeah. it. I'll sit back and enjoy the ride. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Eric's an interesting one. I told him I was going to make a little fun of him. Uh, I did the commensurate Google creep on him before this podcast and noticed that he grew up on a farm and then moved to Chicago uh, to work in trading and technology. So I assumed I was meeting a Midwestern boy. And as Eric talks, you'll, you'll learn that um, you can grow up on a farm outside of Chicago and not <laughs> actually be in commuting distance to Chicago. Funny you, enough. you can also be called Rich instead of Eric, which is... Did I call you Eric? <laughs> <laughs> you have. And I, I kept oh, thinking, did, does he... Did, you know, I have Am I confused about what his name is? Dude, uh, this is the first time a guest haggled me in this first line. This is epic. This is- I can't call that. I can't just call that. Okay. I'm not supposed to be polite English. Yeah, look, yeah, yeah. Some stuff that's best line. If you, if, you, if you went 30 minutes with the wrong name, holy fuck. And you know, this is why I should have my reading glasses on. Everyone, I'd like to welcome our special guest today. Rich Council, founder and CEO of Stable. Welcome, Rich. I am delighted to be here, Eric. <laughs> is your middle name Eric by any chance? There is no connection to Eric whatsoever. Can you consider changing your name to Eric? <laughs> For the Wait, next 20 minutes. You could have just pretended. <laughs> I mean, you know, just to, so Rona wouldn't feel quite so dumb. Oh, okay. Right. So anyway. Rich. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I promise we are professional podcasters. Yes. No, but I do know, Rich, that uh, you there is from your website, you have an interesting personal background in terms of how you got interested in commodity prices and trying to protect people from fluctuations. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I, I'll, I'll give you a quick overview. I mean, I grew up on a farm, as you say, in yep. uh, Somerset, southwest of the UK, Um I have to say, when I was younger, I wish I could say I was passionate about farming all the way through. I thought it was the most boring industry known to mankind <laughs> until I was about 30, I have to say. So anyway, got out of there, uh, became a trader, and uh, then set up another different technology companies, basically. Completely unrelated, all around data science. That's what took me to Chicago. And there I was really became increasingly obsessed about what is this big old commodity risk management space look like? Why don't I truly understand it and what could be done to improve it. There lies a story. 
Right. And so, uh, I mean, it would probably as most of our listeners know, there are all of these large, you know, uh, regulated futures markets that protect uh, people from all kinds of price fluctuations and all sorts of things. So people obviously can use those, but, uh, the, but I assume the genesis of your business is they don't really cover the waterfront. There are a lot of things that people are not protected from. Yeah, exactly. There was kind of along with why the hell does this feel so complicated to me mm-hmm. was the other one where I was assuming that the likes of the CME had all this taped down, right? I was, I just was not an expert. I just thought, where are the gaps? And the more I dug into it, the more you realize that roughly about 10% of commodities by number are actually traded with any form of uh, liquidity. So when we're thinking about, hey, what's the problem that needs solving here? That felt inherently more interesting to have a crack at what wasn't on the markets and would, frankly, never be on the markets. Uh, because as you guys know, you know, you could not design a worse product than agricultural commodities to try and standardize, store and trade. Yeah, it's, it's funny, though, because uh, when we were prepping for this podcast and I looked on your website, I, I assumed all the commodities were covered. Like, you remember trading places and... It was like orange juice crops or something. I'm like, if you got orange juice crops, you're covering everything, yeah. but um, seemingly not. Absolutely fine until yeah. you're worried about the price of mangoes, basically. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just goes on and on and on. I yeah. mean, it's extraordinary. Uh, by any stretch, there's about two, three trillion dollars worth of ag commodities that are untradeable, and therefore you have almost no financial product other than just taking a hit on your balance sheet to protect against volatility. It's an extraordinary huge gap. And yeah. that's what we're trying to do something about. Interesting. So can you get, give us a few use cases of examples where um, people are using your products and how, uh, you know, the nature of their businesses that require them um, to have yeah. the protection you're off? Yeah. And bear in mind, we, we have a lot of, I'd, I'd say the vast majority of people listen to this podcast are in the equity space, but yeah. then we have non-Wall Street folk as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, in those examples, if you could explain it, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, it's all about basis risk, right? So if I happen to be a organic farmer and I'm looking at protecting my, you know, even if there is a traded non-organic alternative, the basis risk is huge. It's as simple as that. So even when it exists, when there are parallel correlated market, the basis is just, it blows it out entirely. So there's an example where we would naturally be able to go in and say, okay, organics is a super interesting space for us. It's something we want to encourage we can go and be very specific, price organic soya or whatever it might be, organic corn, and give protection precisely on that commodity, as opposed to trying to get them to effectively do some kind of crazy dirty hedge. Right. And I and I gather that these may be, uh, they could be larger companies, they could be relatively smaller companies. I noticed on your website, one of the things you mentioned is barley, which is an important ingredient for beer often people who have microbreweries yeah. this is something ronan will find particularly go. interesting he drinks yes. a lot of beer i mean a lot <laughs> well rich um, is british they drink a lot of beer over yeah. there too well, we're no stranger to a beer yeah, yeah. yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Bar is a classic example right there is yeah. literally no protection there whatsoever that's mental i yeah. like i would never and yeah and then why why is that is it just because there's 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 not the liquidity or the interest it in it always comes back to liquidity yeah how, how do you build that up it is so hard in these esoteric markets to do that you yeah. look at cme i mean there's no one better at that and they struggle they mm-hmm. really struggle the amount of markets that they try and start yeah and then quietly shelve really is extraordinary wow never right. knew that so so in pricing these things i'm kind of yeah. interesting so i so i understand that you look uh often to locally based indexes um yeah. to figure out what the kind of accurate 
uh, price measure is for whatever kind of thing you're. So you talk a little bit about the process of um, how it is you uh, pick those uh, indices and uh, how you vet them and uh, the pricing around yeah, your yeah. products. So, I mean, it all starts with indexes, right? I mean, actually, if you just think, you know, even if you're nothing about commodities, nothing about risk management, as a product guy, it's kind of obvious in this space the quality of the product is how close that you can get to the actual market that you're trying to protect. So in our world, the index selection is absolutely crucial. It needs to be, you know, independently verified. USDA, you guys are incredibly lucky to have that resource. Yep. We realize, you know, as a farmer's son, the equivalent of the USD, whether it be AHDB in the UK or MLA in Australia or, or here, those guys do create extraordinary good data. So it all starts with saying, okay, what is commercially attractive? Is there an opportunity here? Then let's grade it. And we think about things like market top participants, how long it's been collected for. And we'll talk about the data science in a minute, the quality of that data, the underlying gross margin. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into saying, is this a viable index? Is it high enough quality? Now, you guys are kind of more on the trading side, but actually we're like hedging, right? So yep. we don't need a, our clients, let's put it this way, don't actually need to protect week 33 in the future right so we're actually turning these things because most of them are reporting on a weekly basis mm -hmm. so we turn them into a calendar month average and most of our contracts then are like a an, a multi-month asian option style contract mm -hmm. so we're already smoothing out those weekly indexes into something that's a little bit more stable um, and because that reflects what our clients actually want you know they're very happy they know the month that they buy avocados or they know the month that they're buying mozzarella cheese and that's what we can do for them so they just be very carefully tailored to, to people that are yeah. uh, have very specific kinds of business models right. um now th th these are all use cases where uh you're talking about people who need to hedge uh against price increases or decreases and and that's pretty intuitive but people um in the futures markets of course as you know um can use these kinds of on, uh, contracts to speculate as well is that get, can can people use your contracts? Does I mean you don't necessarily know why it is people are yeah. uh, using these things in all cases? So here's here's the quote right now, right? So on the one hand, you can sit back and look at stable and go, okay, we can build a nice, pretty front end. We can do some work on these indexes, right? But honestly, you're never going to move forward and create something entirely different unless you find a new form of liquidity. And that was the kind of really hard yards that I had to put in in the early days. And it struck me that as long as we're not talking about trading, I thought that insurers could play a much, much bigger role in, in this uh, environment. Because mm -hmm. actually, you know, they want, you know, if you think about our clients, right, they want super strong counterparty. We kind of major on the simplicity of all of this, right? So you might not love insurers, but you don't kind of question it if there's an insurer behind you yep. that's, that's backing it. So that was the opportunity for us. And when we had that liquidity, it actually gave us the flexibility, right? Because they want diversification across, you know, seriously, 100, if not 200 different markets that right, we operate. Right. So it was a really nice fit to bring those two worlds together. Interesting. And what's what's the, I'm interested in kind of the regulatory overlay around this, because I, yeah. as I mentioned, since I did work for the CFTC at one point, my- uh, best to just let him go. <laughs> so He's never the, met a more uh, impressive person yeah, than the guy yeah. in the mirror, honestly. <laughs> for fuck's sake. <laughs> but uh, uh, I have know, a question in, in, in general, a my, uh, you know, general rule that I always understood was, you know, sort of something that is economically in the nature of a futures contract generally has to be traded on a board of trade, uh, you know, off exchange 
changes it. So where where do you fit within that kind of okay, regulatory so here, here's the fun of setting up stable, right? Because yeah. actually we're regulated in two ways. So we're actually a swaps dealer in terms of what we are offering. So it's a long form confirmation to our clients. Uh-huh. But actually we're also a regulated insurer so that we can access the oh, insurance markets. Uh-huh. So it, what we're doing is effectively offering as a swap, a derivative and transforming that back into insurance so we can access the reinsurance markets. So that was a, that was a fun process, as you can imagine. I can well imagine both yeah. of those things at the same time. So. Uh, as I was reading your website, there was may- maybe this quote was from you or some guy, Eric, which is why I keep on. <laughs> it says, when trading shares on platforms like Robinhood has never been easier, why should it feel like you need a PhD to simply protect your business from volatile prices? So obviously, I'm assuming you don't need to be a PhD in order to use stable. But I guess two questions with that. One, is there a way that people prior to stable were manually doing this are really smart people were kind of doing this on their own and then you've simplified it and the second part of the question is can you can you give us an example if if ronan was a organic uh, barley farmer how would i interact with your product yeah so i'm i'm a total geek in terms of like the benefits of hedging right i just think it's an it, it is a force for good when absolutely you're about transferring risk yep so well, the way I approach this is like, so take someone like my dad, right? He would never get, as a, he's a pretty large scale farmer, but he would never start approaching a broker, start thinking about margin calls. I like the whole thing with, is like a foreign language to him. And yet when you, when you try, you, when you just even change the words up, right? And say, how about ensuring the price that you are concerned about, right? Because even a, a small farmer knows Quite often they don't know their profit margin, but yeah. they absolutely know the price. They know they're when they're screwed. Their yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that was the first bit, right? Is how can we encourage more people into the market by softening it? And that's the beauty about insurance, right? Because yep. actually you just come in and you say, this is my index price that I'm that exactly, well, hopefully very, very highly correlated to the risk. I just want to protect this number of tons for this amount of time, and it spits out literally like insuring your car or yeah. perhaps your tractor might be a better analogy here. That's it. It is It is that pure simplicity that takes the fear factor out of trading. Yeah, and when, when you say insurance, it does take the trading name out of it. Just, it's, it, I would imagine, I'm not a farmer, but if I was, that, that it makes more sense to me because when, when we think of these type of products, we think of like our market bids and offers and you choose w- whether it's to hedge risk or whether it's to speculate how to interact with that market. This is kind of reminds me, and please, hopefully this is correct, but like when you want car insurance, you said that, right? You can go on to like a website and they'll give you a quote from Progressive, from Geico. And that does does your product do that? Do you do that for your clients? You get these different uh, insurance companies competing on a contract? Like how does that work? It doesn't, it, we don't have people behind the scenes competing. We have yeah. a number of different insurers and reinsurers yeah. that all come together. And I see. So effectively, when you think about how on earth this is possible without losing a ton of money, yeah. it is a giant diversification play from our side behind the scenes. Oh, okay. So even on the insurance side. Exactly, yeah. right? Wow. Because we can diversify, obviously, crop, which is where I really started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you can go geography, but actually, obviously, time and price. So you're actually diversifying in four dimensions. And that's what we do on behalf of our insurers 
So we're actually acting like a kind of traditional mixed farmer, albeit on an epic scale. Yeah, yeah. And that's how we're managing it. Well, I'm not a farmer either, but I do come from farmers. Um, Ronan wouldn't know this about my background either. (laughs) And I used to... He uh, used to run the farming community. (laughs) (laughs) Not sure if you know that. I don't know how fucking old you are. Every podcast, I learn another thing that you did. I would think that you would know more about my... You obviously don't care, but... I, uh, I no, I, I would go visit my, my grandparents, uh, in Iowa regularly in the summer and work, you know, waking up every morning, they'd have the radio on and hear the prices that were being quoted on, you know, soybeans, alfalfa, whatever it is. This is something that people pay a lot of close attention to. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But what would they, what would they do with that information, like on a farm in Iowa? Well, I don't know. I mean, I didn't like fucking run the tractors. I don't know what they, I mean, I, I, I was just visiting over the stuff. So you just gave us useless information <laughs> for no apparent reason. They really cared you about know, it. No, I mean, my, they point, do anything about my it. point was these are, you know, like, uh, ordinary people would listen to these prices because they were relevant to their, you know, to their livelihoods and their. Makes a massive difference, right? If you're about yeah. to spend a whole lot of money on a new combine, you really want to know, you know, yeah. what your margins are. Yeah. Has your has your father used your product yet? He, he has. Yeah, really? Exactly. Well, That's fantastic. Um, yeah, no, it's cool. It's cool. But the interesting thing here is, actually, we've been talking about a lot about simplicity, right? And this yep. was a massive shock to me when I was building this. Is like I just assumed it was all about the farms, right? That was my entire mindset when I was building this. And then we started meeting some food manufacturers and processors, right? And I was like, guys, you must have this sorted, right? You, you've got this taped down. And what was interesting, I had one meeting with this giant yogurt business of all things. Hmm. And I was talking to the guys and we were chatting about hedging and the rest of it. And just on the way out, I was literally just saying to the CEO and I was like, guys, why, why don't you hedge, right? What, what, what's going on here? And he was like, if I'm honest, we don't really understand it. And it, and it, there was just like, there are always these moments when you start these things. And it was like this, it's just aha moment. I was like, holy shit. So few people, you know, we all kind of wing it in some areas. Yep. Yeah. Actually, well, you don't have to tell us. <laughs> yeah. There are areas where you just say, and I was like, oh my God. Okay. This is much bigger than I thought. And, and so now today we've got enormous food companies that use us as well as pretty small farming operations at the same time. And that was, and I wish I could say it was genius strategy. It was pure fluke. And it was just that realization that actually in simplifying something, it doesn't matter if you're a small farmer like we were talking about in Iowa, right? But actually, if you work at a huge company and jobs on the line, you still don't want to cock it up. And yeah. so by simplifying it and making it insurance-like, you know, you're good. There's only so much downside. You can right. <laughs> I, I would imagine, too, just um, thinking about the current kind of inflationary environment, um, that there would be a lot more interest um, from a, a, a lot of people in terms of just, you know, protecting against price risks that maybe they didn't think about uh, six months ago. Actually, yeah, it's the biggest challenge of the business right now. Mm -hmm. It feels like a tsunami coming at us uh, Mm -hmm. from every which way. And actually, when we first started, we we slightly cocked it up because effectively we got, after four years of R&D, we were so thrilled about the sheer yeah. amount of demand that was coming in. And then about two months later, we realized like, oh my, well, there's no way you can deal with this breadth of markets. Right. So we literally had to slam the brakes on a little bit and go, hang on, guys, where do we want to focus? Because we would get, you know, one minute you get an avocado farmer phoning up, the next it would be someone wandering about timber. And, you know, you, the breadth of this stuff is too big. So we actually had to haul it back a little bit and then go again and be much more thoughtful about the markets that we want to focus on. 
Well, I'm interested in asking you about propane, and uh, Ronan's going to give me shit about this, but I, I have this house on it. Quag, and the propane prices have been going through the roof. Of course, they're correlated in some sense with oil prices, but I think they're not exactly the same. Is, yeah, that, a, exactly. is that a commodity? That's that exactly right. So if you take propane, right, uh, you know, let's say the silos, the dryers um, on the corner, whatever, you know, what farmer, what small business is going to start trading oil and, and deal with the basis and post-margin and the rest of it? Right. That's an exact example where we can say, okay, you are buying this propane from this region of the US. We will give you an insurance contract based on that index. It just cuts out all of the noise and all of the complexity. And that's great. Maybe I'll put this? my propane yeah. supplier in contact Send with you and no, wait, maybe wait. give me a fucking deal. Or, um, or could, well, actually, could John be a client of Stable or is it more his propane supplier should? It would have to be sad. As much mm-hmm. as I'd like to take some mm-hmm. premium from you, John, mm-hmm. I, you mm-hah. do have to be an eligible counterparty. Yeah. So, so just don't <laughs> do it on the side. Premium the shit out of it. Here, listen, we'll split it. You just give him a post-it note. You're fucking held at this price. And then we'll Okay, John. This is this is going really well. I'm yeah, loving this. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. What else do you got, John? <laughs> I don't know. Is anywhere anything else we, we can insure in your house for you? <laughs> no, I think it's. I think that pretty much covers it for the his, moment. His second home, and he spends I, all the time I, I, complaining you know, about it's, money. I, it's very <laughs> modest. Yes. It's a very modest house. In the Hamptons. doesn't pay me like shit. So, I, <laughs> well, actually, um, simplicity. It's yeah. it's pretty interesting. You bring that up because that's something we try to do in our business. So. In the, in the world of Wall Street, and I'm not making fun of anybody, but in our business, people tend to not want to put their hand up and say, I don't understand something. Yeah. And it's probably what, what you run into. And then that's kind of what, what, what hit me is the fact that this is more like insurance than trading. Yeah. Um, it's much easier to understand. There's a flip side to all of this simplicity when you're using insurers, though, is you cannot be speculative, right? So when, when people come into our platform, we have to actually establish insurable interest. So you have mm. to you have to prove to us that you have a real physical exposure. You have to know who they are and why it is yeah. they are hedging. Otherwise, it just cannot yes. flow back up into the insurance market. So you get on the one – it's a fl- the other side of the coin, right? We get massive flexibility to effectively market make wherever we want. But the flip side is we have to have utter certainty that you're not coming in and, you know, whether yeah. it be arbitrage or whatever, uh, uh, trading against us. And are oh, there, yeah. you, 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 you've obviously found a great niche here, um, but you can't be are the only person providing. I mean, do you have like competitors, people who are offering similar kinds of contracts? It's an interesting one. So you've also got the banks, you know, and all the brokers who are obviously all there doing, doing the liquid stuff. You do get some swaps. So, you know, so people like Cargill are out there, some, you know, Marex, Stonex, those kind of guys. But this isn't their business, right? They're not, they're not out there being paid premium to take risk onto their own books. And, and that's why we're different. So the probably the closest you can get to is actually probably some of the actual crop insurance revenue coverage, margin coverage programs. That's actually probably closer, um, than the kind of the swaps guys and the brokers, frankly, in our space. Great. Well, Quag Sinclair Fuel, I'll put you in touch with them there. I really need... Uh, They're going to be so happy they got a plug yeah, on absolutely. the Boxes and Lions podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there's going to be a run on propane out in the Hamptons, although I think there's one house in the Hamptons powered by propane. <laughs> Might be owned by one that John Ramsey. That is true. That's bullshit. All right. Um, anyway. Did you know I used to run a propane company, Ronan? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the, the beauty about it is when you, when you start with this number of different markets that you can do, where it gets quite interesting right is if you think about what what we're competing against now is huge basis risk on one particular commodity 
But the dream for us, if you like, is because we've got all of these indexes, we've now got clients combining them into a bundle in effect. So our clients are now hedging at a product level. So we use this, I mean, it's an imaginary example, right? But if you take like a Big Mac, we can actually do the cardboard, the sesame, the flour, and the uh, beef, and combine those indexes into oh, an example. Of, oh, that's cool. So not like it's exponentially different to being able to right now take you know a huge basis risk hit by trying to you know use one of the kind of live cattle futures, for example, from CME. Actually, you can get down to a beef fifty lean mince plus onion plus flour plus sesame, and actually hedge your exact risk. And that, I know I'm geeking out here, but that fascinates me because that is utterly different to any other, but, you know, and it blows people's minds because it, it is truly uh, different. Well, I mean, it's a classic example of real um, uh, use of financial market engineering and innovation to kind of meet needs that aren't, haven't wow. been met before. So that's a, it's a... Well uh, said, John. Yeah, Actually, I, I want to go back to the tail end of a question John asked earlier. So like with the world going to shit right now and potential recession and Ukraine. Is it harder to package up these deals now? Like there's there's probably more demand of your product, yeah. but on the insurance side, uh, is, is there a time when they just like, oh, I, I can't take anymore? Yeah. I'll tell you where it is, right? Because it's if we put it in insurance terms, there's a hell of a lot of people coming to us effectively wanting insurance when their house is already on fire. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's all about timing, right? And yeah. You just, like it's it's really frustrating, right? Because you're like, oh, if only you talked to us two years ago, yeah. we'd be paying out big on fertilizer. We'd be paying out big on, in fact, just about everything. Um, <laughs> so, but actually, we've just got to get people in the mindset, right? And it, and it's and it's managing expectation, right? Because we're not a trading shop, so you have to be thinking of us like insurance. So it's almost like this is what we're here for. Exactly. But you've come to us when there's smoke already. Exactly. Yeah. So, and our models are right, imply volatility based, right? So there's also a point where it is so damn expensive that you're already taking so much pain. Why, why are you going to sure. pay to just lock in that pain as well? So the timing is everything as ever in our market. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Do you want to ask the question of questions? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we were prepped for this. I, well, I, whether you were prepped for it or not, here it comes. Okay. Uh, no. Um, <clears throat> why don't you tell us what is your favorite Wall Street book and why? Wait, that that wasn't that the question. Did you just? I threw him a I threw a curveball. Usually we say movie, but I think you know our. I think our listeners are intellectual enough. They read books too. I think it'd be interesting to hear. Well, then you can play Eric and answer it in the movie. See, ah, what? Rich does the book. Eric does the movie. Okay. All right. Yeah. We'll do that. There's something to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Eric's probably cleverer than I am, right? You can take. <laughs> Rich would be like begin, Dummy's Guide. Have you got that, that series of books, Dummy's Guide to Commodity yes. Markets? Yes. Would have been my go-to book about five years ago. You can take your pick, <laughs> movie or book, whichever you prove, whichever I mean, you want. If you get, I mean, you know, Eric on the other hand is a massive fan of trading. <laughs> I mean, when you take the legendary Dan Aykroyd, apply it to Port Belly. Well, yeah. you have to. You have to. I say mean, why would you places, not do that, right? right? Yeah. Duke and Duke. Yeah, I mean, I reckon that's kind of typifies mm-hmm. everything we're trying to kind of mm-hmm. bust up a bit. So we'll we'll go with that. Yeah, right. that yeah. is an epic movie, and it is quite often chosen anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's more pertinent for this conversation. Absolutely, very pertinent. Massive very, in very, Italy, apparently. Yeah. Very uh, pertinent. 
<laughs> and, and and we always say no one leaves here with nothing. No, but not so with you, next well, to nothing. Well, you're actually but, physically here, so we can award you. That's true. We I can think if we have to here. This is getting we, better and better. Every guest gets a pair of their very own boxes and lines socks. I mean, it's, as someone on the road this week, I'm very grateful for an extra pair of socks, <laughs> you, right? Yeah, my my had, colleagues are going to It's thank maybe you. not you when know. you see these. They're very colorful. So at a personal and level, they're comfortable they, too. They, they actually are. Like, So we always talk, like a lot of people give out like swag and they'll give you like socks and they're always shit. Ours, ours are quality socks. They're quality. Although I did have a pair that had a hole recently in the toe, but I think uh, we can. That, that was user error. <laughs> he poured propane on them or something. So, yeah, yeah. I promise there won't be there won't be a hole in the toe of the one we give you for, for at least the first wear. Abs- yeah. Absolutely not. So uh, so we hope you do enjoy them and um, please let us know. Yeah. Um, you've been a, a great sport <laughs> for putting up with Ronan and particular and um, all of us uh and uh we hope that um you'll let us know how your business is doing because it sounds like a very interesting so uh, well guys yeah this, this was really cool thanks for joining us we appreciate it absolute pleasure yeah. um, and i enjoy those socks i'm looking forward to seeing them. yeah yeah <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna grab you a pair yeah <laughs> thanks uh, until next time good. over and out boxes and lines is a podcast from iex exchange it is hosted by Ronan Ryan and John Ramsey. Executive produced by Sarah Forster with support from Benstown. For more information and to hear more episodes, go to iexexchange.io slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Boxes and Lines. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only. And IEX Group Incorporated and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversation may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. All rights reserved.